This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy, the fisherman, the woodcarver, and the Southern Baptist, who always said the best cure for idle hands is to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. Hey, you are listening to Shaun of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Shaun Dietrich. And man, it's a mortified pleasure being here. We've got a great show lined up for you this evening. Come to you live with the podcast airwaves and the radio waves all over this fine nation. Hey, this group of folks you see behind me here fixing to entertain you tonight is the Gap Civil Old Time Band. The Gap Civil Old Time Band. of our program is brought to you by Visit North Alabama or northalabama.org 
or hashtag visit North AL. Travel to visit the 16 North Alabama counties that make this state what it is. Blunt County, Cherokee County, Coburg County, Coleman County, DeKalb County, Edward County, Franklin County, Jackson County, Largo County, Lawrence County, Lawrence County, Madison County, Marion County, Marshall County, Morgan County, and Winston County. <laughs> oh, you can see all sorts of things. You can see hand-built bridges on the bridge trail. Uh, visit the Horton Mill Bridge just off Alabama 75, just a few miles north of Oneonta. All the work on this beautiful thing was done strictly by hand tools. Or how about the North Alabama Barbecue Trail? You can trek across North Alabama on a holy pilgrimage for saturated fat and cholesterol that'll make your cardiologist gasp. Or how about the Train Depot Trail? You can visit depots where young women once said goodbye to the young men U.S. uniforms. A tour of the historic Huntsville Depot trail that still reflects the graffiti on the interior walls written by Civil War soldiers. Or how about enjoying some primitive tent camping at the Cathedral Cavern State Park. No electricity is available and no, uh, we do have community water so make sure you leave mama at home. Whatever you do, you can do it better in North Alabama. So look them up online at Visit North Alabama or NorthAlabama.org or hashtag Visit North And now let's have another tune here from the Gap Civil Old Time Band.
I'm going to read you a little bit of our mail this evening, a little bit of our mail sent in to us from listeners all over this fine nation who had nothing better to do than to sit down and type out a letter telling us something about themselves, something about their lives, or something about a fugitive who's on the loose, who is in our area and armed and dangerous. It actually happened a few weeks ago. My wife and I woke up and Lo and behold, we all had these text messages on our cell phones. First, first thing I saw in the morning, it said, armed and dangerous. And it listed this fellow's name, said, on the loose, only three miles from your house. It was a good morning. Good morning indeed. Our first letter comes to us from someone who prefers to remain anonymous in Kill Creek, Kansas. Dear Sean, my parents came to stay with us this week, and I hadn't seen them in almost a year. We try to get together once a year and spend some time together. My wife and I gave them our bedroom, our master bedroom, and moved in with our two boys, slept in one double bed. Our boys smell very bad, and their room was a pigsty. My mother and father were always in the house when I woke up. They'd be sitting in the kitchen or in the living room, and if I went to the garage to try to be alone and sip my coffee, my dad would follow me. Sean, it was sheer misery. Now, I'm not saying I don't love them, because I do, but I can't live with them. So I, so I would go out to my truck and tell everybody I had to be at work real early, and I figured out how to plug in a coffee maker to the cigarette lighter. And I would leave, and I'd spend a few hours in my truck alone, parked beside the river. And I'd listen to your show sometimes, until eventually I had listened to them all. And don't get me wrong, I love my folks, but I have never been so happy to see my dad's taillights go down the driveway and disappear. <laughs> so now you know why my letter is anonymous, your buddy. Jennifer Williams, Slidell, Louisiana. My dad turns 50 on February 25th, and I wanted to wish him a happy birthday. His name is Chad, and he's the greatest dad ever. He's away with my mother in New York City. We celebrated his birthday before he left, but we still miss him because he is my dad. Anyhow, thank you for doing this for me. We all like your show and my family. Well, dear Chad, happy 50th from your daughter, Jennifer, and from everybody here tonight. And I just want to say, may you make it back from New York City with your wallet and in one piece. Dangerous, dangerous place. Margaret Remington, Oathen, Alabama. My 18-year-old son is the kind of boy who always helps his fellow man. If people in his class ever needed him with needed help with homework, he brought them over to our house and he tutored them. Because he's very smart, he gets that from his father, and he's a great guy. I'm so proud of him. We will miss him when he goes to college next year to Auburn University, War Eagle. We 
started him listening to your show this Christmas when we went to visit my mama in Virginia and we ran out of music to listen to in the car and somebody found your show. <laughs> so I thought I'd write you. I guess it's just now falling on me that he's going to be gone for college. We've only got three months of school left and the summer will be gone in a mad dash doing all the things that need to be done. Anyone out there who's listening to this, take it from a mama. Hold your family tight while you have them under your roof. Thanks for the shows, Sean. Until the next one. Craig Borrell, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I'm a man who feels like he won the lottery. My story's a long one, so I'll make it very, very short. I moved to Iowa from Milton, Florida, which isn't far from Alabama line. And I've been missing home ever since. You just can't get used to a new place overnight. But a few years ago, I met this fantastic girl who became my wife. And her family has meant everything to me since mine has been so far away and is nothing but sounds through a telephone receiver. She comes from a very tight-knit group of people who know a lot about corn and wheat. And I'm learning a little bit myself. They want to get me into wheat farming, corn farming, but I'm not so sure. Last week, we discovered that our family is about to increase by one. My wife is pregnant. And I never thought it would feel this good to know that I'm having a child. I'm 27 years old, and I feel like I can't get any higher. I've hit the top. This is as good as life gets, and I'm starting to realize that home is not a place on the map, but a place where your family is. And my family is here in Iowa. Thanks for taking time to read my letter. I know you're a busy guy. Dear Craig, in case you missed that applause before from everyone here tonight, congratulations. Congratulations. Chili Pie Torak, out of Scadero, California. That's not an easy, easy city to say. Dear Sean, I started listening to your podcast and fell in love with your stories and your southern drawl. You remind me of my distant relatives from Kentucky with your ability for storytelling. Last week, my Southern Baptist 97-year-old grandma had a severe stroke and is not expected to be with us much longer. As a kid, I spent many hours at her house while my mom went to nursing school. She always made time for me. She was a great listener and a great encourager. And there's not many of those left in this world. Your musical guests remind me of the many hours I watched the grand old opera at her house. She made the best fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, and green beans with bacon in them for Sunday dinner. Oh, she's the strongest woman I ever known. She and Papa left home and came to California by train. In 1946, they raised six children and helped raise many grandkids and many great grandkids. And she managed to do this, she managed to do this while also working hospitals at nighttime. 
for the de developmentally disabled children. It was really hard work. She often got by on hardly any sleep, but she was used to taking care of everyone else before taking care of herself, so it wasn't nothing. She didn't get to go back home to Kentucky very often since money was tight. But one summer, she accompanied my family in a borrowed camper all the way across the country to visit her brothers and sister again. It was one of my favorite vacations as a kid. Papa went to be with the Lord almost 23 years ago, and she lived alone since then. And now she's 97. I know she's ready to join him and her family that went there before her. I guess I just wanted to say thanks for reminding me of my family's southern roots through your stories and your music. I think she would have loved to listen to the gospel hymns and bluegrass. Well, dear Kelly, dear Kelly, this is for, for your grandmother from me. The sun shines bright in the old Kentucky home. Tis summer in the old folks' game. Where the corn tops arrive and the meadows in while the birds make music all the day The young folks roll On that little cabin floor All merry, all happy and bright By and by hard times Come knocking at the door in my old Kentucky home, good night. Weep no more, my lady. Weep no more today. We will sing one song for my old Kentucky home, for the old Kentucky far away Oh, they hunt no for that possum and coon on the meadow hill and the shore They sing no more by that glimmer of the moon on the bench by the old cabin door Oh, the days go by like a shadow or the heart with the sorrow where all was delight Oh, the time has come when the old folks will part in my old Kentucky home good night Weep no more, my lady Weep no more today We will sing one more For the old Kentucky home For the old Kentucky home Far away
applause from our listeners. We're going to have another tune here, everybody. Well, I get asked a lot, I get asked a lot, one of the most common questions I get is, uh, how did you start doing what you do? How, you know, what is it that you do? That was another popular question in my life, but now people kind of know what I do. You know, some kids who want to be comedians, there's a, there's a, there's a, a line that they follow, a, a road, a roadmap to that kind of a career, or some people who want to be uh, be a writer, they will follow that road map. I haven't followed any road maps. In fact, on my road map of life, it's almost like some celestial being spilt ketchup and taco sauce all over it. <laughs> uh, this question is something I've been asked a lot in my life. Uh, people used to ask me this all the time. They say, what do you do? At various cocktail parties or various you know, events that I would find myself at. It's not like I go to that many cocktail parties. Uh, barbecues, uh, you know, potluck socials in the back of the fellowship hall. People say, what do you do? And I would say, about what? <laughs> the reason I would say this is because this, this question is not really about what you do. It's about how do you define yourself, 
And we need to know these sorts of things before we have a conversation with somebody. Right after people ask you your name, they will ask you what you do. This is especially true among men. And so in some of these fellowship halls and barbecues and on the rare occasion, a cocktail party, I would find myself at a loss because I don't know what I did. I've done it all. I've hung commercial gutter. I've hung commercial roofing. I've installed uh, cabinets. I've worked on a lawn maintenance service, ran a commercial mower, planted rocks, myrtles, and threw sod. I was a commercial framer for a short period of time. I laid tile and travertine and cut ceramic tile on a wet saw. I hung sheetrock and I sanded the joints and mudded the tape until I looked like Casper the Friendly Ghost when the day was over. I played music in smoky rooms or in churches. And so I don't know what I am. Am I a musician? Am I a sheetrocker? Am I a landscaper? Well, nobody exactly wants to be called a landscaper. In order to really call yourself a musician, you got to be pulling in at least six figures a year. And that wasn't me. So I would be stuck. I had no idea what I was. And so I sort of entered into adulthood unsure of what in the devil I really was. And so I think this question doesn't just plague me. I think it plagues a whole lot of people, all the way back to our ancestors, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And Adam, we, we all know, was a Southern Baptist like me because only a Southern Baptist could stand next to a woman only clothed in a fig leaf and think about fruit. <laughs> I, once, I once was at my uncle's house as a boy and my cousin Ed Lee came in and he asked my uncle, he said, where do we come from? He said, I, I just don't understand it. I, I don't know where mankind comes from. My uncle said, listen, listen, listen. We believe that mankind came from two people who were once put into a delicious garden of vegetables, kind of dressed like the jolly green giant. They were called Adam and Eve. My cousin Elise said, that's true. My uncle said, oh, yeah, you better believe it. He said, well, then why, when I asked mother where we came from, did she say we came from monkeys who were put here long, long ago and we sort of evolved over time into being a man that you see today? My uncle said, oh, 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 well, that's true, too. That's your mama's side of the family. <laughs> Ever since Adam, people have been trying to figure out what it is what it is that we do do here on this planet, at least I have. And so now people ask me, how did I get into public speaking? And I tell them, it was very, very tough. You see, public speaking is an interesting, interesting field that you just sort of, you sort of have to fall into. Kind of like walking up to the edge of the Grand Canyon. You know, nobody jumps into the Grand Canyon. You gotta be pushed. I had to go to diction school, diction school, before I, I learned how to public speak. This is what people do. They go to diction school and they learn how to talk very, very clearly. Diction school is an interesting place. You walk in and a woman stands at the door and she places marbles in your mouth. She fills it up with marbles. And then you are supposed to recite 
literature and talk around marbles. And every week you show up to the school, they remove one more marble. This is what it takes to be a public speaker. Once you've lost all your marbles, <laughs> congratulations, it's time to go be, go be on a stage somewhere telling stories that have absolutely no earthly purpose. My uncle was in his kitchen one day. I was having coffee with, coffee with him. I like to visit my Aunt Eula and my uncle, Jether, every now and then. We were talking about the old days. Uncle, Uncle Jesus retired now. My Aunt Eula still works like a dog. And my Aunt Eula came in the kitchen. She said, Jether, I had the strangest dream last night. He said, you did? She said, oh, yeah. I had this dream that you gave me a pearl necklace. He said, oh. And he winked at me. She said, what do you think it means? He said, well, I don't know, darling, but I have a feeling you're gonna know tonight. And well, that night, my Uncle Jether gave my Aunt Eula a gift-wrapped book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> They've been married a long time, a long time, a long time. We went over to their friend's house that day. There was a big old shindig. His house is in a little tiny subdivision, little tiny subdivision. And the garage door was open. Aunt, Aunt Eula was riding in the front seat. My Uncle Jethro was driving. And they, they are, they, riding in the back seat with them will make you car sick as a dog. Because my Uncle Jether cannot drive worth a cuss. Uh, and my Aunt Eula will usually, she will usually just sit in the car very silently. And this is because one time while my Aunt Eula was cooking eggs over the stove one morning, and I happened to be there to see him, my Uncle Jether crept up behind her, and she was flying, frying them eggs, and he said, oh my God. Oh my God, you're not using enough salt. Oh my God, that flame is too high. Turn it down. No, no, turn it up a little bit. Oh my, oh no, no, no. No, the eggs got to be scrambled. Scramble them up good. No, no, that's not enough. They're too dry, too wet, too dry. Oh no, you're cooking them too long. And my Eula looked at him and said, what has gotten into you? And he said, now you know what it feels like while I'm driving. We arrived at this little place, little one-story house, garage door was open. There was a little collection of children sitting in the driveway, crisscross applesauce on the pavement. And inside the garage in front of these about, I don't know, eight children or so, were, were five old men holding instruments. There was a fiddle. There was a, there was a, a, a stand-up bass, the doghouse bass. There was a biscuit box guitar. There was a calfskin banjo. Oh, there was a man who was playing the spoons, and I'd never seen that before. Playing the spoons, he kept two spoons in his hand, and he, he clicked them together. Really something to watch. We got there, my uncle Jeth and I walked up to see them, and we we sat down on the driveway. My uncle sat in a lawn chair that he'd brought. In the middle of the music, out from the back door came this woman. Her name was Miss Gina. Miss Gina is married to Martin, who plays the guitar. She came out and she was carrying, she was carrying bottles of Miller High Life beer on a silver tray and one diet soda 
for Mr. Randy, who's diabetic, and she had this stuff on a silver tray, and she set it down on a little side table beside these men who's playing instruments, and they looked at her and smiled. She had white frilly hair, Miss Gina, and she was dressed really, really nicely. And the men, they all kind of wore the same things. They had plaid shirts tucked into jeans, and, and they had their, their Velcro shoes on. And they had John Deere caps on and, and caps that said Macy Ferguson. Yes, it was something else. I, I realized what I was seeing. I was seeing something from the old world. I was seeing history happen before my, my very eyes. You don't see many women deliver things on silver trays anymore. It just, it just doesn't happen. In between songs, they catch the breath. And the children sitting before them would clap, oh, they'd clap. Because it's fun to watch people play music. And it's even more fun when, you, when these people look like, like your great-great-grandfather. These children, there were two generations between these children and these old men. And one of the boys raised his hand. He said, hey, hey, can you play the song that you played last week? That was about that, that crawfish or the, or, or the man with the fishing pole. All the men looked at each other and they smiled. They knew what song he was talking about. And so they started plunking a few tunes. You get a line, I'll get a pole, honey. You get a line, I'll get a pole, man. You get a line, I'll get a pole. We'll go down to the crawdad hole, honey, baby mine. If you've ever been lucky enough to see children who are sitting Indian style on the floor stand up and dance to a song that's older than their grandparents are. Well, by God, you've been lucky enough. And these children, they, they cut a rug, they shook their booties, and they, they moved their elbows, and they, they danced to this sign, you get a line, I'll get a pole, honey. And these men played, when they finished playing, they set their instruments down, and they kind of caught their breath a little bit, my Uncle Jesus clapped for him. He clapped for him. And I, I was standing next to Miss Gina. I asked her how she met Mr. Martin. She said, oh, well, that's a long story. She said, he was on a stage playing music just like this. And I was, I was out in the gymnasium and I was watching him. He was on the stage about four foot tall. He was back in Texas now, long before we moved here. And I watched him, I was looking up to him. He looked like he was 14 feet tall. Oh, he was so cool. He played that guitar. And I stood there with my girlfriends and I just watched him. Oh, I loved him. From the beginning, I knew I had to have him. Well, she went on to tell me this story. Turns out that Miss Gina snagged Mr. Martin by what she admits are less than honest means. She was somewhat deceptive. Namely, she faked a fatal disease. That's right. She faked a deadly disease. Her and her girlfriends one night were having a sleepover party in, in Miss Gina's bedroom and they were talking amongst themselves and they were brushing their hair and they were listening to music and, and they devised a plan to get Martin to notice Gina. She says to me, now keep in mind, I was only 14 and Martin was 15, but we decided 
that we would develop this, this deadly disease that was killing me and could only be cured. It could only be cured by a special potion manufactured in the Orient because this disease was very rare and it killed most of its victims dead, graveyard dead. And so at church, a few days later, her girlfriends approached Martin after the service and they said, Gina wanted us to come get you and tell you that she's really, really sick. Actually, she's dying. <laughs> Martin said, oh my God, how long has she got to live? They said, well, well, it's, 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 we don't know. It could be months or it could be days. Another one of Gina's friends said, yeah, I saw this morning. I think it's, I think it's not gonna be very long now. <laughs> She's just holding on, look real bad. Martin said, well, what does she want with me? He said, well, her dying request, Gina's dying request was to go to the movie with you. Well, Martin agreed. Martin agreed. He agreed to go to the theater with her. And while Miss Gina was telling me this story, Martin looked back at me and he interrupted. He stopped playing the guitar together and he chimed in. He said, you know, at first I thought that they was lying to me about that disease. But once we got to the theater, I realized this girl might be telling the truth. And I said, well, why is that? He said, because nobody kisses that while on a first date unless they only got a few weeks left to live. <laughs> well, Miss Gina don't seem ashamed. She giggles a little bit. I don't even get the impression that she's blushing. And why should she be ashamed? They've raised four children together. And I'm, I'm happy to report their adult children are not carriers of this rare genetic disorder. In the middle of our story, Miss Jeannie gets up, she walks into the kitchen, and she gets, she gets butterscotch cookies and sweet tea and juice boxes for some of the other people in the crowd, and a beer for my Uncle Jether. She comes back out, and sure enough, that stuff's still on a silver platter. Well, I'll tell you, times have certainly changed. You don't see many silver platters anymore. Before Martin retired, he was a pastor. He was pastor of a little country church just south of Montgomery, little country church. He came all the way from Texas to, to be at that church and people loved him, they, he was beloved. He and Gina had been married for 62 years, 62 years, that's a rarity in today's day and age, but they are, they are together and you can see the way Gina looks at Martin when she looks at him playing that music like Turkey in the Straw or my old Kentucky home or, or the, the devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> Martin graciously leaves a few lyrics out of that one. When she looks at him, it looks like a sophomore girl looking at her high school sweetheart instead of an elderly woman like she is. Jenny told me, she said, you know, just last week, just last week, we celebrated our 62 year anniversary. And Martin played me a little song, and then when he was done, we talked, you know. When we first got married, I had this box, and I placed it underneath my bed. 
It was this box that I told Martin the first, got our very first church. We were just kids. He would preach since he was 17 years old. I said, Martin, this is my private box, my private stuff. Don't you touch it. You've got to swear to me. A girl's got to have some things that are just her own. Don't ever look in that box. And well, he swore. 62 years, that Baptist man kept his word. Until a few weeks ago. She said after church one Sunday, she went over to go play canasta with some of her friends and Martin was in the house all by himself and he got to looking around for something and he saw this box underneath the bed and he went and he looked at it he opened up the flaps and inside the box was a load of cash money and on top this load of cash were three eggs three hen's eggs and well he waited for, for Gina to get home and he was sitting at the, at the dining room table with that box on the table. And he confessed to her what he'd done. And she said, you promised. He said, I, I want to know what is in that box. And well, Miss Jeannie told him, she said, when, when I got married to you, my mama said, Gina, you're going to be marrying a preacher. And it's tough being married to a preacher. And one of the toughest things you'll do is listen to all his bad sermons. Yes, no preacher can be good all the time. Every time he preaches a bad sermon, Gina, I want you to put a hen's egg in the box. Well, Martin heard this and he got so overjoyed, thinking to himself, my Lord, after 62 years of marriage, I've only preached three bad sermons? And she said, well, not exactly. You see, whenever I would gather a dozen eggs, I'd take them into town and sell them for cash and put the cash in the box. Ah, <laughs> oh, you learn to do different things the longer you're married, I guess. You learn how to cope with each other. You learn how to love each other. And when Martin finished playing that music, the children, they all clapped for him. Miss Gina, she went toward him and she smiled and she said, that was good. And she leaned forward and she got that, that silver tray. She started placing empty bottles on it, empty bottles. Mr. Martin's the only Baptist minister I know who would gladly drink a beer in public and let me make an entire radio show about it. <laughs> Bless his soul. While she's placing them bottles on that tray, my Aunt Eula and Uncle Jeetha were getting ready to go Miss Gina walked over to Mr. Martin and she said, let me have you empty beer bottle. He said, mm-mm, no ma'am. He looked at her. He said, not until you, you kiss me right here first. You see, old people are not just old people. I wonder sometimes if them children who were sitting there that day, or if even myself, knew what we were seeing. We were seeing people who are our people. People who are history. Who not just play music and tell old stories. They teach us how to time travel. And every time we watch them play a song like Crawdad Hole or Turkey in the Star, we are time traveling to a time when men used to grease their hair and women used to wear 
dresses and pearls and carry silver platters and fix every problem in the universe with butterscotch cookies. And there were no such things as laptop computers that kept you connected 24-7 or the leash that is text messaging. He said, uh-uh, you can't have this bottle. You've got to come over here, Miss Gina. You've got to kiss me right on the mouth. And she laughed. She walked right up to Mr. Martin, and she laid one on him. And well, I'm happy to report that I am glad Miss Gina is over that deadly, deadly disease. Hey, thanks for listening to me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich, and man, it's been a bona fide pleasure if I do say so myself. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the only way to cure idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife and my Folklore Brewing Company, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Folklore Brewing Company took home two gold medals of the craft beer competition in Alabama this year. Do yourself a favor and visit folklorebrewingandmeadery.com. The music you heard behind me today was the Gap Civil Old Time Band in Sparta, North Carolina, with Caroline Beverly on guitar, Chris Johnson on banjo, and Lucas Paisley on the fiddle. These guys aren't just good, they're extra good. Their music's rooted in the traditions of their region, a diamond-shaped area consisting of Sparta, Low Gap, Galax, and White Top. They formed a band to play at a local square dance, and since then, the rest has been history. You can find these guys all over. Go to Google and look them up at Gap Civil Old Time Band and download a few of their tunes today you will not regret it. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouthShow.com and there you can find archived episodes dating back to our very first episode when we had no idea what we were doing to this episode where we have very little idea of what we're doing. While you're there, I hope you take the time to drop us a line, tell us about your birthday announcements, potluck invitations, and bar mitzvahs, and I'll do my best to read them over there because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. Speaking of friends, friends, a good clear conscience is usually a sign of Alzheimer's. Adios. Adios.